0: We're looking at the first 24 verses of Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, uh, The Pitfalls of Pride, after a a pretty poor uh, TV performance uh, by the leader of the Green Party. uh, There was a lot of commentary on uh, her performance, and in (coughs) some of the discussion I came across this very impressive sounding condition called the Dunning-Kruger effect, the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is named after two researchers who came up with this phenomenon that unskilled or ungifted people tend to rate their ability higher than it actually is. And on the other hand, highly skilled or able individuals tend to underrate their abilities, assuming that uh, tasks which they find easy everybody else finds easy also. And the point was being made that seemingly like some politicians uh, bluster their way along, oblivious to their failings, while more gifted and suited people are left in the wings because they don't rate their own ability. The Dunning-Kruger effect. Well, verses 1 to 24 are describing a kind of spiritual Dunning-Kruger effect, because there are people who are so full of their merit their own sense of worth before God, that they don't recognise that their sense of merit or their actual merit is woefully inadequate for entry into the kingdom of God. In fact, the idea that they are somehow good enough people is actually disqualifying them from uh, heaven. They're blinded by their pride. And on the other hand, there are the poor in spirit so actually, the ones whose attitude towards themselves is a qualification for entering the kingdom of God. Topsy-turvy situation. Uh, in fact, if you look at the section as a whole, you could see this as an illustration of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, in the Beatitudes, when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who are the, the People who are poor in spirit mean people who are only too aware of their failures, of their shortcomings, of how ungodly they are, of how uh, sinful they are in the core of their being. That they aren't good enough to get into heaven on the their own merits, and so they have no qualms, no reservations about crying out to God, God have mercy on me, a sinner. These are the poor in spirit. And on the other hand, those who are rich or full in their spirit, those who have a, a high self-esteem tend to delude themselves into thinking that, well, the kingdom of God is surely open to them. No, they may say, I'm not perfect. Everyone's willing to say that. I'm not perfect, but I'm not a bad person. In other words, I'm better than so, and so, and so, and so. And surely that's good enough to get into heaven. Now, all these verses, verses 1 to 24, if we try and bring them together, they're not about uh, the etiquette of entertaining. No, they're about the subtle danger of pride. And Jesus is using this context of being at a meal to confront people with the danger, the spiritual danger, of being conceited about your own worth before God, the danger of pride. So first of all, he's going to show us that pride will kill true religion, and then secondly, with in some very practical uh, exhortations to the people that are there, he is going to encourage us to, to cultivate attitudes that will put pride to the death, that will kill pride. And then uh, in the, the parable of the invitation to the great feast, he, Jesus is warning us that pride can lie behind a rejection of grace. Well, the Lord Jesus is a, a guest at a dinner party thrown by a prominent Pharisee, and it's on the Sabbath. Now these dinner parties seem they could be quite posh affairs, there had been plenty of time to prepare the food, it had been done the day before, on the Friday, uh, there's no work to distract the, the guests at the dinner, there's ample opportunity for good spiritual discussion. Uh, the man who pipes up about being blessed to feast at the kingdom of God, uh, his kind of comment wouldn't be too unusual, really. This was a time when people uh, made the most of being together to talk about spiritual things. And, you know, that's a good thing. And There's a good Presbyterian tradition of having folk round for dinner and using the time on the Lord's Day to discuss spiritual things. It's something that you want to avail yourself of. But the point here is that Jesus is not with his natural constituency. He's with people who are trying to trip him up. He's at the home of a prominent Pharisee. Pharisees have been trouble for Jesus from the very beginning. And on this occasion, it seems definite that they have invited to uh, spy on him to see if if he gives anything away that would give them cause for saying he doesn't uphold the law of Moses. And yet, knowing their attitude towards him, Jesus goes. He accepts their invitation. Jesus is often at mealtimes with other people who are agonistic, suspicious, cynical of him. And Jesus recognises that such occasions, uh, when he is a guest at someone else's home, such occasions are really good opportunities to share his message. And they continue to be. Uh, when we are on someone else's home territory, on their turf, far easier for them to talk plainly about important things than it would be on our turf, you know, in a church, in a place where we are comfortable, but they are not. And so there's a very strong case for saying that Christians should be open as much as possible to being sociable with their non-Christian friends. But notice this. Jesus doesn't shrink from confronting his friends. In fact, there are some very, very uncomfortable moments in this, uh, dinner, uh, uh, this, this uh, dinner party. Uh, there are times when you can imagine... Uh, if there were disciples of Jesus present they'd be looking at the floor and thinking, what is the Lord saying? What are they going to be thinking of what he's saying? They're going to be really upset, but Jesus does not hold back from saying what needs to be said to present the challenge of his Lordship and we need to learn from that because uh, in engaging socially in this way, uh, unless we're willing to to speak out, to speak the gospel into a situation, even when it's uncomfortable, then there's always a danger that we'll simply compromise our faith, we'll fall back into worldly attitudes, and we'll get sucked back and into uh, a non-Christian lifestyle. So the, these two sides of Jesus' attitude uh, towards uh, the the, the wider unbelieving context and social engagement with them. So here is Jesus at this posh dinner party thrown by a religious leader and he's been carefully scrutinised for any sign that he could not uphold the law of God, especially the law of the Sabbath because it's a Sabbath day. And there's this man here with dropsy and the scholars think that this dropsy or uh, is edema, which is when fluids build up in the body. And it's possible that the man had been planted there by the Pharisees to see if Jesus would heal him. Uh, I say that because Jesus sends him away after he's been healed. So possibly he wasn't uh, a, a guest. Uh, he'd just been brought in by the Pharisees as a kind of plant. Verse 3 is literally Jesus answered the lawyers and Pharisees. So either there was an unreported question put to Jesus or Jesus is answering the attitude that he knows is lurking uh, in their minds. And his answer is actually a question. He says to them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day or not? And Jesus again has them beaten. They can't give them an answer to this. Uh, if he says, if they say rather that uh, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath day, then uh, Jesus knows and they know that they have added all these rules around healing, uh, around the Sabbath day. And one of them would say that uh, you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath day, you should wait until afterwards. After sundown, uh, healing can be postponed. That wasn't in the Old Testament, but they had added it to the Old Testament as a kind of extra interpretation. But on the other hand, if they say, uh, yes, you should heal, uh, sorry, you you shouldn't uh, heal on the Sabbath day. Well, people are going to rightly think that they're being uh, callous and lacking in compassion. So it's a lose-lose situation for them. So they say nothing to Jesus. And Jesus simply heals the man and dismisses them. But having done that, Jesus goes on to press home the callousness of their position. If one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Of course they would. If they had a son who fell into a well, they weren't going to wait until sundown to pull him out of the well. In fact, they wouldn't even delay pulling one of their own farm animals out of the well and so the point is made they actually care more for their own farm animals than they do for this poor man uh, who's in a kind of similar situation if you think about it uh, if, if this is, is what his condition was he has fluid building up in his body he's being flooded with water uh, they're quite content for this man to remain flooded with water but they would certainly pull their own son or ox out of a well rather than see them flooded with water Now we said already that the the thread joining these different uh, subplots is pride, and there's a pride behind the harsh legal attitude of the Pharisees. The pride here—they have a macho attitude to the law. Uh, They think that the tougher they make the keeping of the law, especially the Sabbath law, then. They can keep these and of course they're all outwardly possible to keep so they could tick all the boxes and they're building up merit. They are making it harder and more uncomfortable and for everyone else they're creating a, a, a very uncompassionate society but they're able to think well of themselves uh, by keeping these laws which they are heaping up, which they are multiplying. They had little idea of the grace of God. Being in the kingdom was something that they simply assumed was theirs by right of being Jewish and because they kept the law with all its additions and they felt very smug about themselves. But they're hypocrites because it's all all about outward appearance. Not doing this, not doing that, not going there, not being with these people, doing this, doing that. But God is interested in their heart God is interested in their motives and they had no desire for God's honour and they were not acting out of love and so they failed on these accounts. And we see that here. Look at the way they, they regard Jesus. They, they think of themselves as moral policemen and they're going to catch Jesus. Their attitude to him is, is uh, mean and critical as it was to all people makes them look good if other people can be made to look bad. Their pride also results in this lack of compassion. They're so hung up on this rigorous uh, maintaining of appearances, this rigorous application of the law, that they completely overlook the command to love their neighbour as themselves. And so they have destroyed that what God is looking for. Uh, James, in his epistle, writes about the, the, the religion that God is looking for in these ways. He says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But the Pharisees, because they're proud, have lost sight of compassion. They've no concern for the orphan or the widow or for the, the, the likes of this poor man with his, his condition. Uh, that could be uh, (coughs) done. So that's the first point, that that, uh, pride uh, is something which will kill true religion, will kill uh, compassion, will kill uh, practical obedience uh, to the law of God. And Jesus goes on then to show, in a number of practical ways, how the people present and how we, can cultivate attitudes which will kill spiritual pride. Kill spiritual pride before it kills you. And he notices that many of the people (coughs) who are there at this dinner party have hurried there to get the best seats. Now, in Jesus' day, people didn't sit in chairs at tables, but they reclined on couches. And they were sitting, uh, leaning with their, their left with her head on her left uh, with her left elbow on the couch uh, leaning like that uh, facing uh, to the right and there were three couches in each group there was uh, the couches were arrayed in a U shape and the, the senior figure the, the honour guest was at the base of the U shape and the one uh, who sat to his left was second in rank and the one on his right as regarded as start. and then there was another group of three, another new, and the the best place was to be on the left of the the top ranking new, and so it went on. It was this very formalised way of sitting, and possibly, just possibly, there had been an unseemly rush at the beginning to get to the best tables and to be in the best location to other in respect to the other. Now if you think about it, you, you see this kind of thing in modern settings as well, don't you? When when people are at some kind of social gathering a pride can, can kick in so that it tramples over people. You can go to a, a gathering and you can be intent on, on getting to talk to someone there, either because he's a popular person or perhaps he's a special guest, maybe even some kind of a celebrity at a minor level. And you're there in this party and you see him or her, the other end of the room, and you make a beeline towards him or her, and someone, unfortunately, crosses your path and you have to speak to this person in the interim. But all the time, you're looking through that person, seeing if you're going to be able to get over to the person that you want to speak to. Now, that's a horrible situation, to be on the receiving end. Or to be speaking with someone who's looking through you all the time, who's made it very clear, he doesn't really want to talk to you, he wants to get to somebody else, and you've simply got in the way at this point. And you're made to feel rubbish. You're made to feel of no account. Uh, you're of no interest. What you have to say uh, is not really engaging <coughs> this person at all. This is the kind of attitude, the kind of pride motive that Jesus has Pinpointed here at this very party. And Jesus says, kill it. And kill it by taking corrective action. Do something which makes sure that this doesn't creep in on you. Always take the more lowly seat rather than go to the top seats. Because if you go to the lowly one, then you'll be upgraded if things have to be changed. But if you take a top seat, then be rather embarrassing to be put down. So there's a practical, common sense uh, thinking here. Uh, some sometimes you see this again in, in modern situations. Think think in different situations of uh, public or transport where there's a, a first class or a business class. Even a crowded train. Some chancellor on a crowded train has slipped into uh, the first class compartment, and it is kicked out by the ticket inspector and rather sheepishly has to join the riffraff in the rest of the trade that's one, um, one experience but the opposite of being upgraded first class or business class for whatever reason, that's a great feeling so there's this common sense appeal to common sense in what Jesus is saying here, this is how it is but it's not psychological advice that Jesus has given. It's not uh, advice on etiquette. He's saying, here's a practical step that you can take to avoid always looking for the top seats. Be practical in how you try to stamp out pride. If you're someone who's prone to looking for the best seats at one of these dinner parties, then go for the worst seat when you're invited out. Make sure it doesn't creep into your thinking. Go and act, practically. Bishop J.C. Ryle's comments uh, on this part of the gospel are helpful. He says about this, Humility may well be called the queen of the Christian graces. To know our own sinfulness and weakness and to feel our need of Christ is the very beginning of saving religion. It is a grace which has always been the distinguishing feature in the character of every true Christian. All do not have money to give away. All do not have time and opportunities for working directly for Christ. All do not have the gifts of speech or tact or knowledge in order to do great good in this world. But all Converted people should labour to adorn the doctrine they profess by humility. If they can do nothing else, they can strive to be humble. Helpful words, these are. We live in a really pushy society, don't we? People uh, push and they uh, shove their way to the front of the queue or to get what they want. Uh, People assume. My needs are more important, therefore I'm entitled to push and shove my way to the front. My needs are more important because I'm a more important person. And the true (coughs) antidote of that, which is of course pride, is to know ourselves as we truly are. If I really know how bad a sinner I am, and therefore how costly was the price of my salvation... If I think more on God's holiness and the majesty of Christ, I'm not going to have big thoughts about myself. I'm not going to think that my problem is low self esteem. My problem is I have too much esteem of myself. And I'll begin to think that anything is good enough for me. And therefore, and this is in accord with other parts of the New Testament, we should assume that others are more worthy than ourselves and give them a priority. Jesus then presses home, the same point with another example. He says, when you're throwing a dinner party, when you're entertaining, when you're having folks back at the house, well, don't just invite the people who are in a position to return the favour. Don't just invite our friends uh, or people who are well off Instead, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, again, Jesus is helping us to to think uh, through ways, practical ways of killing pride and cultivating a true humility. He's saying it's easy to, to be hospitable, but actually to be hospitable in a self-centred way, you know, to, to have people around that we like and are familiar with and who are probably going to invite us back at some point for dinner. Jesus says, look, that can simply breed pride and complacency. So instead, do something very different. Invite people who are in no position to return the invite. Make them guests of honour. People who are disadvantaged, disabled, marginalised in some way. So it says, be radical. Be a revolutionary. Subvert the world's standards and take an axe to the root of the tree of pride. Be practical about this. Now, again, Jesus is not saying that we should never have our friends or our family around uh, for dinner. That would, be, that, that would be crazy. It would be against what uh, we see in the rest of the Bible also. Uh, so we shouldn't uh, come away with, with that notion. But on the other hand we shouldn't lose the force of what Jesus is saying. Uh, it's so easy sometimes to, to dilute the teaching of Jesus. Uh, to, to think of it as some kind of a, a parable or a metaphor. We ought to obey him. We ought to be radical in our obedience and to seek to implement what Jesus is saying here. So at this point, Jesus has exposed the pride that was was clearly lurking uh, in that company. And there have been all these very uncomfortable moments. And at this point, it's extremely uncomfortable for the host and for many of the guests that are there. So you've got to imagine uh, this long-drawn-out uncomfortable silence and when that happens in company there's always someone who feels that they have to break the silence and so uh, there's a guy there that eventually does break the silence with a very pious sounding uh, statement blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God that's true isn't it? Uh, that's true what was he meaning though behind that um, did he mean well We've got our faults and failings and maybe, maybe they're obvious at this <coughs> gathering here today. But at least, at least we're going to be present uh, eating at that great banquet in the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus is not going to let him get away with that. Jesus is not going to let him uh, dilute the force of what he has been saying. He presses home the point and now he challenges people with the thought that pride is a grace blocker pride can result in people rejecting the grace of God. And so he gives uh, a story of a man who threw a wonderful banquet and sent out invitations to it. Uh, in Jesus' day you sent out two sets of invitations. One uh, well in advance and another just before. Just as we would maybe send out a text to remind people of, of a gathering just immediately before it was going to take place. And so the second lot of invitations are going out and At this point, people make all kinds of excuses. Oh, no, I've bought a field and I need to go and have a look at it. Uh, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I need to go and try them. Well, I've gotten married and I I need to stay with my wife. I can't come, sorry. The servant reports the knockbacks to his master. The master's furious. He says, go out. Forget these people. Go out and invite the, the, the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame exactly the categories Jesus has been speaking about and the servant uh, says that's been done but there's still room, Jesus says go go further out, go into the highways and the byways and don't take no for an answer, bring the people in until the house is full those who were first invited will find no now this is a, as we close this is a wonderful illustration of the gospel And how how wonderfully extensive and rich is the invitation to the gospel. Uh, Very quickly. The invitation to come and trust in Jesus is an invitation which is given to come and to enjoy a marvellous provision. Everything is ready. The post says. And God has provided for us in Jesus Christ all that we could ever long for and all that we could need. We have forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the adoption into the family of God. We come to know a Father who pities, provides, and protects us. We have a fellowship within the church. We have the, the joy of the Holy Spirit. We have peace with God. All that we could long for and that the world cannot provide is provided in Jesus Christ He's the pearl of great price. He's the 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 one that we gladly sell all we have in order to to possess. Everything's been provided for, and the invitation goes out widely. The invitation of the gospel is to everyone, without exception. There is a savior who is suited to your needs, and if you will only trust in him, you will be saved. The gospel call goes out indiscriminately. It goes out to everyone, every boy and girl, every uh, young person, every adult. That early invitation went out historically, and uh, John the Baptist came heralding the com- coming of the kingdom. The Jews, by and large, rejected the invitation. And then... The invitation went further afield. It went to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and eventually spread to the Roman Empire and came to these islands. And many received it. And yet, there are many still who reject the invitation. And as in the parable, uh, the rejections are flimsy rejections. No one buys a field. No one buys a bit of land they go going to crop without going and and having a good look at it, first of all. No one buys uh, farm animals that are going to pull plows without testing, first of all, that they are capable of doing it. And the Old Testament law made provision for someone who was newly married to be exempt from military service for a year, but there was no way that they were to simply avoid uh, social engagements just because they were married. So they're all really lame excuses. It's like the kind of knockback you know, that the would-be boyfriend gets when he asks the girl out and she tells him uh, she can't go out tonight because she's going to wash her hair. You know, It doesn't really cut it. They are flimsy excuses. So here, uh, I don't think Jesus is saying that worldly entanglements will keep us from heaven, although worldly entanglements will. His point is that often we are too proud to receive something which is absolutely free. People will sometimes despise the gospel offer simply because it comes with no strings attached. They are so conditioned to want to earn something. What can I do? <laughs> uh, even, you know, this is not saying this is wrong, but even at, at, a, at a domestic level, if we, if we go out uh, for dinner, uh, we often want to do something, don't we? We want to bring one of the courses or other... Now that's great at that level, but spiritually it's disastrous. If we want to contribute something to our salvation, you can't do that. And so people despise the gospel because it is free. Ah, this is for losers. This is for people who've got no merit uh, of their own. But uh, I'm I'm a religious person. I've lived a decent life. I'm not for this, this, this free thing, this free gospel. And so they think that it's for, for people, as we say, who are losers, who are their inferiors. And because they're blinded by the God of this age and they think that they are better than they are, they reject the gospel. Now that rejection doesn't mean that the gospel is powerless. It, on the one hand, is revealing the folly of the pride, of the proud, but also it is drawing in the poor in spirit. Again, we mustn't lose the force of parable In sending out the the steward to bring in those who are poor and lame and crippled and bring them in from the highways and byways, there is a command to the church to be mindful of those who are disadvantaged, who are disabled, who are unemployed, who are depressed, who feel on the edge, and to reach out to them. And the challenge for us as a, as a fellowship is that Hope Church, Hope Bridge might be the kind of place where people who struggle in life know they have a home. This is the counterculture of the gospel. And so in our outreach, that must always be our way of thinking. We must never lose from our sights the people that Jesus told us have the kingdom of heaven as their inheritance and we must go to them persistently and energetically and plead the free offer of the gospel and when they come live our lives together so that they join as honoured guests for such is the kingdom of God let's pray. Heavenly Father we thank you for these words of Jesus we pray Lord that they would be as challenging to us in our day as they were to those who heard them at that dinner Uh, we pray Lord too that we might be obedient to them, that we would feel their force and that we would respond to them Lord in practical ways keep us Lord from spiritualizing away uh, the teachings of Jesus and change us Lord and change our attitudes and all for your glory in Jesus name we ask this Thank mm-hmm. you.